Welcome to the Creation Podcast. I'm Christy Hardy. May 18th, 2019 marks the 39th anniversary of the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens. Why are we talking about a historic volcano on a podcast about biblical creation? We have a panel of ICR experts to help us connect the dots. We'll start with ICR geologist, Dr. Tim Clary. Dr. Tim, some of our listeners will remember the Mount St. Helens eruptions, while others weren't even born yet. Can you give us a quick explanation of this historical event? On May 18th, 1980, I was actually an undergraduate, taking a few classes, just starting to get interested in geology. And there was this huge eruption in the state of Washington that really was making a lot of the news. And it was just a massive event that we never had experienced in the North American continent. There was ash all as far out as Nebraska, people picking up ash you know, many, many states away. So it was a massive, massive event that affected nearly half the country. Dr. Jim Johnson is ICR's Associate Professor of Apologetics. Being a grandfather of nine, I'm old enough to recall the eruptions of Mount St. Helens, May of 1980 especially since I took a summer course under ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris, only a few weeks later. I remember Dr. Morris calling the Mount St. Helens eruptions and the aftermath God's gift to creation science, or God's gift to flood geology. Two years later, an eruption, May 19th of 1982, caused a forceful mud flow. In hours and days, not millions of years, a sedimentary layered canyon was formed like a miniature Grand Canyon, showing how a canyon can be formed catastrophically with a lot of water and a lot of power over a little bit of time, as opposed to requiring a little bit of power repeated over imagined millions of years. Dr. Jake Hebert is ICR's physicist. I think I was seven years old when it happened. Basically, what happened is you had Mount St. Helens in Washington State. For months, there had been pressure building under it, particularly under the north slope of the mountain. And there was this huge bulge where the magma pressure was building up. And the north slope had increased in height about 400 feet. And early Sunday morning, around 830, there was a huge landslide that slid down the north slope. And when that happened, it released the pressure. And you had all this water flash into steam. And so you had this big steam explosion. And of course, it did a tremendous amount of devastation. There was about 230 square miles that was just devastated by that. If you see some of the pictures and you look at the ash, it almost kind of, except for the tree trunks and stuff, it looks like a moonscape. I mean, it's just incredible how desolate it is. Dr. Brian Thomas is ICR's paleobiochemist. Dr. Brian, tell us more about how the eruptions affected the surrounding area. Mount St. Helens released the energy of 20 million tons of TNT on the morning of May 18, 1980. This blast pulverized rock It ejected tons of steam-infused ash and sediments throughout that day. And so over 3 billion cubic yards of avalanche material also slid down. So it's like the cork came off the top of Mount St. Helens. Avalanche, blast, a lahar flow. It was a total disaster. Well, I think it really devastated the area right around Mount St. Helens. And a lot of it blasted to the north because it was really started by a landslide. And the volcano itself, as they studied it later, was kind of bulging, bulging, bulging. They were kind of testing it and watching it. They knew something was up. And so the scientists were studying it. And unfortunately, the scientists on the north side, some of them were killed in the eruption because it did blast to the north. A big landslide slid off uh, where the side of the volcano, the north side kind of steepened. And then the whole side slid away. And that set off the eruption. You can see from the footage, uh, there was an airplane that was flying around at the time that actually happened to catch the footage. But it really, really affected that area that may shut down everything. People had to finagle filters in their cars to drive around. They were driving through the ash. They were 
ashes filling people's homes on top of their roofs. They were brushing ash off. The whole area was basically a disaster area for weeks afterwards. ICR scientists have written articles about Mount St. Helens, and we're even including a model of it in the ICR Discovery Center. What does this volcanic eruption from the 80s have to do with creation science? This really kind of rocked the world of traditional geology and showed that you can have things happen quickly. And that's what we think happened in the flood. We think the flood, of course, took course of a year almost. The flood waters went up for 150 days. And over that course of that year, most of the sedimentary rocks that we see in the world today actually were deposited. But these types of things can happen quickly, and Mount St. Helens demonstrates you can have rapid deposition. It doesn't take millions of years to make layers, because a subsequent 1982 eruption melted some snow that had accumulated at the top of the mountain. That snow catastrophically drained and carved a new ditch, carved a new canyon through the sediments that had just been deposited two years prior. And lo and behold, you can look into the sidewalls of this brand new canyon carved in a day, and it shows that the 1980 eruption deposited different kinds of layers. It also deposited cross beds. So we see thin laminate layers, we see cross beds, we see graded beds. That happens in catastrophes. Now we know from Mount St. Helens. We find those features in rock layers all over the world. All the sedimentary rocks have these fast flow features. You don't need a lot of time to carve canyons. The canyon was carved in a day. The layers were made in a day. So you just need a lot of water, not a lot of time. So if you took a secular geologist who did not know where he was and you blindfolded him and you spun him around and you stuck him in that canyon, he would probably try to say that those layers represented many, many years. But in one of those, it was just deposited in three hours. Uh, so we see lots of evidence that things can happen rapidly geologically. You don't need long, slow, gradual processes. Did you know ICR is building a discovery center in Dallas, Texas? At the ICR Discovery Center for Science and Earth History, you'll explore the wonders of God's creation and discover compelling evidence that confirms the Bible. Enjoy planetarium shows, animatronic creatures, holograms, and special events. You'll even find an exhibit about Mount St. Helens. We're planning to open the Discovery Center later this year, and we can't wait for your family to visit. For more information, go to icr.org slash discoverycenter. If you're enjoying this episode of the Creation Podcast, you should check out ICR's free monthly magazine. Acts and Facts explores ICR's latest scientific research and answers the most pressing questions of faith and science. Each issue will build your confidence in scripture and equip you to share your faith. Sign up today at icr.org slash subscriptions. Now, let's get back to our panel of experts. Tell us about the difference between uniformitarianism and catastrophism. Well, uniformitarianism is summarized by the motto that the present is the key to the past. And so geologists who hold that view think that Earth history can be adequately explained just using processes that are going on today. They would argue that since erosion is slow and gradual today, it's always been slow and gradual. Before Mount Helens, geologists were pretty much strict uniformitarianists. That means they, they believed everything was uniform, everything was slow, processes were slow, you know, normal run-of-the-mill type processes in geology today are slow. But there are events like Mount St. Helens that showed that much of what we see in geology actually occurs quickly. Much erosion occurs quickly, much deposition occurs quickly, and it really changed the way we look at geology. So why are uniformitarians reluctant to appreciate catastrophic canyon formation? They continue to assume that today's present world is the key to understanding the past. 
especially unique events that occurred in the ancient world. Today, both Mount St. Helens and the Grand Canyon appear peaceful, but the relatively non-catastrophic natural processes that are operating today are not trustworthy guides for understanding past geological events such as Mount St. Helens' eruptions or the Genesis Flood or the Ice Age. But there's more, much more that uniformitarian thinking gets wrong. Uniformitarians also assume that God is absent, or at least relatively uninvolved, from what occurs in nature. They willfully ignore the many evidences of his creatorship and the global flood, as if he wasn't obviously active in and with his creation. But he is. How does Mount St. Helens affect the scientific debate on the age of the Earth? Many people, when they approach places like Grand Canyon, they look out over the edge and they look at these rock layers and they just think, you can't get that much rock unless you have lots of time. You've got to have millions of years in order to have all these rock layers. Now, that's, that's a way to think about it. But that comes from not having seen them form. And that comes from not having studied Mount St. Helens. So Mount St. Helens allows us to look at giant sedimentary rock formations like what we see exposed at Grand Canyon and know with confidence that lots of water can make these kinds of layers. In fact, there's fast flow features in Grand Canyon. And so this whole idea of fast flow, lots of water, high energy, catastrophic deposition, when we start thinking in those terms, then all of a sudden mysteries get solved. All of a sudden, now we see why there's no evidence of time having eroded the border between layers. Well, one of the things we learned that really shows that deep time kind of is just mythology. Uh, you don't need deep time. The Bible doesn't talk about deep time. Is when they dated the new lava dome that formed at Mount St. Helens over the course of several smaller eruptions after the 1980 eruption. About six years later, they actually dated the day site, the rock that actually formed a new dome of lava, kind of unplugged off the volcano. And they dated this with standard methods, and they came up with an age date of over 300,000 years. And we know when this erupted. This is from the 1980s. How could it be 300,000 years old? And we see this again and again and again whenever we test lavas. Almost every lava that's ever been tested, we know the historic eruption. We know we witnessed it, or we have historic records that show this happened at like Mount Vesuvius when it erupted and destroyed Pompeii. We test these things, and we get ridiculously old dates. So none of the age dates that are out there that are being tested are really giving us the actual historic dates. So why are we led to believe that all these dates are factual, like they're taught in geology classes? All these dates are supposed to be these deep time of millions and billions of years are always taught to be facts, but yet not one of them has ever given us a correct date, to my knowledge, of any of these known historic events. They're always wrong. So why would we believe any of them? If you really think about it, you'll see that how old Earth is cannot be determined by looking at its present condition. Yet, Empirical scientists pop out opinions about Earth's age like popcorn, but the age of something, or someone, cannot be known with certainty without reliable eyewitnesses. Here's an example. How old are you, exactly? How do you know when you were born? Obviously, you were there when you were born, but you were so young at the time, you don't remember what day it was. Because your birth is a unique event, and it is no longer observable, the uniformitarian assumption can't be used to prove your birth date. However, a reliable eyewitness was there. Your mother. Trust me, she was there and she remembers the day you were born. And your birth date was promptly written down by reliable record keepers before it could be forgotten. Without a reliable eyewitness, you can only guess your birth date. Likewise, without the book of Genesis, which contains God's eyewitness report of Earth's creation in error-free writing, we can't know how old Earth is. 
But if we close the Bible, we can only make wild guesses about the age of the earth. Tell us how ecological recovery after the eruptions surprised secular scientists. Very soon after the 1980 eruption, ecologists looked at the moonscape that resulted from the eruption and said, oh, this is going to take you know, a century to recover. But I went there just a few years ago, and um, after 30 years, it's green. Evolutionists assumed that it would be generations before the volcanic ash-blanketed area around Mount St. Helens would bounce back, ecologically speaking. Yet within weeks, revitalization was evident. Avalanche lilies grew through the deposited volcanic ash. During 1992, our family vacationed near Mount St. Helens, and we visited the area, noticing bright-colored flowers growing up through the devastated landscape. Less than 20 years later, bushes and deciduous trees were growing there, providing food and cover for insects, birds, and mammals. Now an entire canopy of trees have restored much of the area to productivity, with a mix of plants and animals thriving at the very site of total devastation less than 40 years ago. Earth's ecology is a lot more resilient than evolutionist scientists think it is, and Mount St. Helens proves it. A special thanks to Dr. Jim Johnson, Dr. Brian Thomas, Dr. Jake Hebert, and Dr. Tim Clary for sharing their expertise and reflections as we remember the eruptions at Mount St. Helens. And thank you, podcast listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like ICR to answer your creation questions on future episodes, send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ICR science. Remember to subscribe to the creation podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. Join ICR next time for another episode of the creation podcast.